right now we'll read the psalm of praise for today, Psalm 96. So if you have your Bible, please do follow along. If not, uh, you can follow along on the screen. But let's read Psalm 96 together as the people of God right now. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let All the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Amen. Well, um, can I ask you please to make sure you can see a copy of the outline for today's talk. Um, it, hopefully uh, you picked it up beforehand or else there should be a QR code on the screen that you can scan and it'll take you through there. On the outline you'll see on the left-hand side uh, the passage that was just read to us from Psalm 96 and then on the right-hand side an outline of what I'm going to cover. Uh, if you can, there's a place for you to take notes. I didn't really think about that beforehand when I sent that out, but uh, there's a couple of blanks that you'll need to fill in as we go along. That's really so you pay attention and don't drift off. Um, it is delight to be with you again on the second of these two weeks, looking at Psalms 95 and 96. Uh, like we did last week, I'm going to pause at a couple of points and get you just to talk with the people around you about the matters that we're covering. I'm really keen for this not just to be a monologue from me from the front, but a chance for you to reflect on how God's Word shapes your life for the week ahead. Uh, and after the song, after the talk, there'll be a chance for questions as well. So do make sure you store them up and we'll see how we go on all of that. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into Psalm 96. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's been written for us and for our salvation. So this morning, remind us once again of how good and wonderful you are and how you are most worthy of all praise. Amen. Well, I thought I'd start by asking you, when was the last time that you experienced something so good that you couldn't stop talking about it? When was the last time you experienced something so good that you couldn't stop talking about it? Maybe a success at work. Maybe a new relationship. Maybe a long-awaited holiday that you could finally take. Maybe victory on the sporting field. Or perhaps you've met recently someone who has been in that zone Someone who has had something so wonderful that they can't stop talking about it. They're overflowing with an excitement that is, on the one hand, either deeply infectious or, on the other, just incredibly annoying. You know, they just won't stop talking about this great thing that's happened to them. 
Well, obviously, I've started with that question because Psalm 96 is written by someone who can't keep quiet, someone who's overflowing with amazing news that they can't wait to share, and so they blurt it out to everybody. I actually found Psalm 96 really hard to make sense of at one level. Um, It's not a smoothly logical psalm. Like I like psalms like that, which have smooth, ordered progression, and you can analyze them and work out the different things they're trying to say. It's not like that. It's just... It's almost like just a blab that comes from someone. And in fact, if you look at the outline, you'll see I haven't even bothered to try and break up the passage. I've just written it all out in one long flow. It's like a stream of consciousness. The big idea is right there in verse 4. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Most worthy of praise. Well, if you remember what I said last week, uh, I think one of the keys to reading the Psalms well is to start by looking at what the Psalm tells us what God is like before we move to see how Jesus is the fullest revelation of God and then think about how we're to respond. And I want to use that same approach today. You'll see from the outline, firstly, what Psalm 96 says about God, secondly, how it points us to Jesus, and then thirdly, what it asks of us today. So point one then, what Psalm 96 says about God. Uh, There's two things there on your handout, uh, and if you are able to fill the blanks in, here are the blanks for you to fill in. Firstly, God is most worthy of praise because of what he is like. God is most worthy of praise because of what he is like. God is most worthy of praise because what he is like, what he has done, and who he is. There are three different ways in which you see that in this psalm. Firstly, he is our maker. Uh, Verse 5 Verse 5, the Lord made the heavens. Uh, You'll remember last week in Psalm 95, it was in effect an entire psalm reflecting on the majesty of God's creation of all things. He is our maker, so he is worthy of praise. A second reason given in Psalm 96 why he is worthy of praise, he is the saviour. He is the saviour. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Now, of course, when the psalm talks about God being a saviour, primarily for the Old Testament Jews, for the Israelites, the event they are reflecting on is the Exodus, that extraordinary moment when God rescues an entire nation from subjugation and slavery in Egypt and brings them to freedom in the Promised Land. No wonder God is worthy of praise. And the third reason why God is worthy of praise, according to Psalm 96, and this is unexpected, the third reason is because he is the judge of all the earth. Pick it up in verse 10 with me. I'm going to read from verse 10 to the end. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Why, according to Psalm 96, is God worthy of praise? Because he's the judge of all the earth. So what Psalm 96 is saying is that God's reign, God's rule, what it would be like if God's kingdom did come 
and his will was fully done on earth as it is already in heaven, what it would be like is seen not just in God blessing us and in prosperity, it will be seen in his judgment. Now I wonder, just as a side note, I wonder if you are concerned about this idea of God being the judge and how you feel that plays into the whole area of evangelism. Is this something that we want to talk about with people who aren't believers? Come to church and meet the God who is the judge of all the earth. Well, actually, according to Psalm 96, it's a good thing that God is judge. And actually, deep down, I think we all crave that. See, all of us see the pain of injustice, whether it's on a global scale, the haves versus the have-nots, whether it's on a national level, when you see conflict between nations so often fraught with injustice. But of course, we feel injustice most of all at a personal level. And I say that particularly to anyone who has been a victim or a survivor who cannot simply be compensated to be made whole again. Psalm 96 is saying that God, the judge, he will not stand idly by. He will intervene to make things right again. And for that reason, therefore, Psalm 96 says that God is worthy of praise. Now, given that, it's no wonder then that Psalm 96 doesn't just call us to say God's praise, but to sing his praise. Come back to verse 1 with me. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Psalm 96 urges us not just to say God's praise, but to sing his praise. And I take it that actually the image that's meant to come to mind, it's a powerful description of ecstatic celebration. It's not just saying solemnly intone God's praise, yea, God, you are great. It's calling on us to rejoice with uncontrollable joy and delight. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, if your football team happens to win, you don't just say the footy club song, do you? You sing it. You sing it. Uh, it's the same with the National Anthem. The National Anthem, actually only ever sung at sporting events these days, is meant to be belted out, not just recited together. Now, of course, one of the questions is, when might you do this? When might you sing God's praise? Well, one of the really interesting things about Psalm 96 is that it is quoted elsewhere in the Bible. Do you know that? Psalm 96 is quoted elsewhere in the Bible. If you're taking notes, you can make a reference here. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 23 to 33. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 23 to 33. There, Psalm 96 is repeated almost word for word. Uh, what's happening at that point? Well, in 1 Chronicles 16, the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem. Uh, it had been captured by the Philistines, uh, and eventually it gets returned to the Israelites. The Ark of the Covenant, this is where God is said to dwell amongst his people. 
And finally, after years in exile, the ark is brought back and brought into Jerusalem. And so at that point, it is right to sing God's praise. Uh, Particularly because, as you read the story, it's very clear that it's not the Israelites who went and found the ark. In fact, it's God who miraculously returns at home. The extraordinary thing is that when the ark comes back and they sing Psalm 96, they praise God not just for what he's done at that exact moment, it's an opportunity to carry on, to wax lyrical, to praise God for everything that he has ever done because of what God is always like. And that's the reason why, if you look at the very first line in the psalm, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord a new song, uh, that doesn't mean sing to the Lord just because he's done a new thing. It's actually a reminder that we praise God for an old thing that he's done, but we have to keep doing it over and over again. We need to keep retelling the story reappropriating the story in our day and age because something so good demands never to be forgotten. Of course, every Australian understands what that's like. Every Australian understands on April 25 that the reason we gather to honour and celebrate those who've given their lives in service of our country in war That sacrifice is so extraordinary, it demands to be sung again and again and again. So the first thing that Psalm 96 says about what God is like is that he is most worthy of praise because of who he is and what he has done. The second thing that Psalm 96 says about about God, and here's the second thing for you to fill in on your handout, the Lord should be praised by everyone. The Lord should be praised by everyone. Psalm 96 tells us that God is so worthy of praise, it is right that he receive universal recognition and acclaim. Now, the reason I say that is because there's three different groups of people identified in the psalm who are all called on to praise God. And you'll see the note there on your handout. Uh, Firstly, there is Israel. Israel, God's Old Testament people, the people who wrote this psalm and for whom this psalm was written. Did you notice in Psalm 96 that the word Lord appears actually 11 times in just 13 verses? Uh, Lord in capitals, when you see it like that in the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's written that way because it's the... Uh, it's the name that the Israelites had for God, uh, what uh, they would call Yahweh, what you might have heard translated as Jehovah in English. Um, the, word, the, the special word for the Lord that the Israelites alone had. So this is more than just a sing to God a new song. This is sing to the Lord, sing to our God. And so verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns, It's actually a call for Israel to praise their God. Why? Well, look at verse 4. He is to be feared above all gods. In other words, Psalm 96 is a psalm of praise to Israel's God, not any old God. 
It's not a song of praise to the Muslim god, Allah. It is not a song of praise to the millions of Hindu gods. It is not a song of praise of indigenous spirituality. It is a call to praise Israel's God. It's worth us noting that because sometimes you hear from people uh, that, well, you know, aren't all religions basically the same? Don't they all worship the same God just with different names for him or her? Well, not according to Psalm 96. Psalm 96 demands that we praise the Lord. One of the really interesting things I find is that in the end, the only people who think that all religions are the same are atheists. That is, people who don't believe in any God. That's not the case in the Bible. And as we'll see in a moment, Israel's God is actually seen most clearly in Israel's greatest son, Jesus. And so the first thing that Psalm 96 says is that God is worthy of praise from all Israel. But it doesn't stop there. Because in fact, Psalm 96 calls on all the nations, all the peoples, all the earth to praise Yahweh, to praise the Lord. So come with me then to verse 3. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. Or in verse 7, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Verse 9, tremble before him all the earth. It's actually a reminder that God's great promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 was that he would be blessed and his descendants, the Israelites, would be blessed, but that through him all the peoples of the world would be blessed. And so what Psalm 96 is doing is inviting us to come and join in. All the peoples of the earth, all the nations, not just the Israelites. Psalm 96 says, stop what you were doing before, come and learn this new song, this new song that is actually very, very old and eternally wonderful. So God should be praised by Israel God should be praised by all the peoples of the earth. But extraordinarily, Psalm 96 even calls on creation itself, inanimate creation itself, to praise God. And this part, you know, it feels like hyperbole and a a bit of wild personification, but whatever it is, it's massively extravagant. So look at verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all the creatures in it. Verse 12, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And finally, let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Verse 13, let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Psalm 96 is saying that God is so worthy of praise that even physical creation itself ought declare it. Or to put it slightly differently, not just shout it to the hills about how good God is, may the hills shout as well. And um, this is really corny, but you're never going to forget it. It's not just saying the hills are alive with the sound of God's praise. It's actually saying the hills themselves are to sing the Lord's praise. That's how magnificent he is. 
Now, I have called this, and here's the blank for you to fill in, I've called this unconstrained praise of God the inevitability of evangelism. The inevitability of evangelism. That is, Psalm 96 is saying more than just evangelism is important or evangelism is necessary. Psalm 96 is saying that evangelism is inevitable. God's people will testify to what God is like because it is right that they do so. In fact, it would be wrong if they kept silent whilst the hills and the trees are singing God's praise. Psalm 96 is saying this news about God is so good that you cannot keep it in because you want no one to miss out and so you're constantly inviting others to join us in this great song. Which takes us then to Christ, to Jesus, the fullest revelation of our God and what he is like and why he is worthy of praise. And so point two then, how Psalm 96 points us to Jesus. How does Psalm 96 point us to Jesus? Well, traditionally, and I'm not sure if you knew this, traditionally Psalm 96 is meant to be said on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. Uh, That makes sense, doesn't it? It's a psalm that describes God coming, God coming to his earth. And so if you reflect a bit on how Psalm 96 points us towards what Jesus is like, well, you might think of Colossians chapter 1, where Jesus is described as the maker and sustainer of all things. Or perhaps you might think of Acts chapter 17, where Jesus is described as the anointed one, the judge before whom every person will bear account. But actually, as I've read through Psalm 96 this week, perhaps most of all, Psalm 96 points us towards Jesus by describing the way in which people react when they see what Jesus is like, when they have news that is so good that they cannot keep it in when they discover that Jesus is worthy of praise. You'll see on your handout there that I've quoted a few verses from Mark chapter 5. It's the end of a story, which I'll get to in just a moment. Here's how the story begins. Uh, Jesus has come across a man uh, who has been demon-possessed and in an act of extraordinary kindness, he liberates the man. He casts the demons out into a herd of pigs And the herd of pigs, you know the story, they run down the hill and they drowned, and so the pigs are dead, but the man is alive and he's been set free from this terrible curse that has afflicted him all his life. At that point, the villagers, well, they're not that impressed by Jesus. Sure, he's gone and healed this man, but he's taken a thousand pigs away, and that's ruined their livelihood. So they ask Jesus to leave. And so you get this situation where Jesus has just done this extraordinary thing, but the people want nothing to do with him. And the man who has been cured or healed says to Jesus what I think, to be honest, is about the most reasonable request in the entire of human history. This man says to Jesus, can I come with you? Because these people clearly don't think much of you and you've just set me free from demon possession, so can I come with you? That sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? Jesus apparently didn't do pastoral care at Bible college because he says no. And he tells the man, well, pick it up in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the whole Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I talked about the inevitability of evangelism. When something that good happens, you cannot keep it in. And so this man goes back to his town, this town that won't accept Jesus yet, but perhaps through his witness they might see that Jesus is worthy of their praise. Well, I've talked for long enough. I'm going to pause for a moment. And what I'm going to do is uh, ask you to do what we did last week and for a couple of minutes have a look at the discussion question that I've put there on your page. It'll come up on the screen behind me as well. Here's the discussion question. What is it about Jesus that makes him worthy of your praise and why? What is it about Jesus that makes him worthy of your praise and why? This is obviously a chance for you to share personally and to to speak a little bit about how Jesus is significant for you. Uh, Like last week, I'd really love it if you would talk with someone who you don't share a house with uh, because you can talk with them afterwards, but it's a chance just to talk with people around you and perhaps to encourage each other in that way. So a couple of minutes and then I'll call us back together to say a few things before we wrap up. Over to you. Thanks very much, everyone. I'll ask you just to swivel around in your seats. I'm going to say a couple more things and then I'll get you back to talk about the last discussion question. What Psalm 96 tells about tells us about God and what he is like, how Psalm 96 points us towards Jesus. Thirdly and finally then, what does Psalm 96 ask of us today? Two things I want to suggest. Uh, the first, as I've talked about throughout this uh, this time, Psalm 96 speaks to us of the inevitability of evangelism. That is, Psalm 96 is not like a secret code word clearance song only for the initiated. It's not something that we hum behind closed doors only when we're at home in our, in the privacy of our own home. Psalm 96 describes what God is like and that's news that deserves to be belted out for the whole world to hear. Because the thing, in the end, it's not just God's people praising God before others as if we're on stage and they're watching on. Rather, Psalm 96 is an invitation. It's an invitation to get out of your seat and come on down and join in with the assembled throng. One thing that struck me about Psalm 96 as I've reflected on it is that um, I think it's really sad that for most of us, and I'm talking about Christians at this point, for most of us, about the only time we ever freely sing someone's praise is at a political triumph or at a sporting victory. Now here, of course, my analogy is going to break down slightly because when it comes to sporting events, when you sing someone's praise, there's always a winner and a loser. Um, but it seems to me that's about the only time that people really let go. Uh, most of you know that uh, I'm not from South Australia. I moved here 18 years ago from New South Wales. And about the first question I got asked when I moved here, the most important thing apparently people wanted to know about me was, you know what it is, which AFL team are you going to support? Uh, and from that point on, until I committed to something, most people did everything they could to persuade me to either be a Crow supporter or a Port supporter. 
Now, I'm actually very sensitive, uh, and so sensing that my decision would alienate half of the people I ever met, I just decided that I'd tell everyone, firstly, I'm from New South Wales and I think Aussie rules is stupid, and secondly, that I would support the Swans, which I do whenever they're winning. So today, I'm a Swan supporter. It's a good reminder, I think, that lots of Christians care enough about how their sporting club is worthy of praise. In fact, so much that they don't want anyone to miss out and they'll do anything to recruit others to their cause. seems to me that the social cost of speaking up the risk of being rejected or ostracised if others don't want in never stops them from trying because they just don't want anyone to miss out. The inevitability of evangelism. The second thing I want to say is what do you do if you don't feel like singing God's praise today? So what do you do if, in reading Psalm 96, it actually feels really hard? Because at this moment in time, your present circumstances are just so truly awful that you cannot bring yourself to praise him, no matter how hard you try. Can I say... I want to acknowledge that Psalm 96 is not all light and roses, that it is hard at times. And yet the big idea in Psalm 96 is that the basis of praise of our God is not grounded in our circumstances, it's grounded in God's character, in his tender affection Do you notice that in Psalm 96 there is no specific mention of any specific situation? I think that means it is always appropriate. So here's the second discussion question I'd like you to take a couple of minutes on. Again, it's on the screen. What helps you want to praise God more? And conversely, what hinders What helps you want to praise God more and what hinders? A couple of minutes to share and then I'll come back and wrap us up. Over to you. What helps you want to praise God more? Uh, Well, my suggestion is uh, the more you learn about him and what he is like and tell it to others, uh, kind of like a a letter to yourself, uh, the easier it is to praise him. Uh, We so often get tunnel vision and yet what Psalm 96 does is it tries to offer us a global or a cosmic snapshot of what God is like. We are so forgetful that sometimes we need reminding. And in fact, as I said last week, uh, Psalm 96 is not meant to be sung on your own. It's actually first and foremost meant to be sung together, corporately. So, here are three quick suggestions. If you're not feeling like praising God then perhaps you might ask another Christian to tell you why they are able to praise him even now. Uh, If you've never known this feeling, 
if you've never wanted to praise God, if you're here as someone who's not yet a believer, then can I invite you to ask the person next to you, the member of this church, ask them to share with you why they think is God, Jesus is worthy of praise. Because, well, given what I said today, they really, really want to. It's just that sometimes perhaps they've gotten shy or gone quiet, perhaps because they've suffered an adverse reaction in the past. If you are feeling like praising God this day, then can I urge you, please get on with doing so, to sing his praise, because he is worthy of it. In fact, he deserves it, and it will be a travesty of justice if his name were not made known. You know, as you do so, you might just enable someone else who is finding it hard to join in. But more importantly, singing the club song in the sheds is always better than singing at home alone. So God's name is to be declared amongst his people. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death and resurrection and the promise of his return. As we look forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give you great praise now and ask that you would help us to have our eyes fixed firmly on him who is our Saviour and Lord. Amen.